Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Okay, we left off in 119. That's all the further we got. So what John is doing here is, is describing, again, a John, but this is John the Baptist. So describing now John the Baptist and kind of setting out this story and how John the Baptist reveals, in fact, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ. So verse 19, so John's testimony is, is shared, but then they send religious leaders, priests and Levites, are sent to probe John and find out who he is. They know he's, he's not like any human being they'd ever seen before. So, spies are sent to find out who you are. And they ask very specific questions. Like, who are you? <laughs> They're not beating around the bush. You know. Who are you? Tell us who you are. But notice that they are sent from, quote, the Jews. Now, John does, does this in a couple different occasions. Uh, we talked last week about, uh, he uses the term world, he uses like dozens of times, uh, primarily describing the bad system that has been established to counteract and contradict and disobey God. So there's a system that leads people away from God. So that's the world. He does the same thing with the Jews. He uses that to describe the, the religious system that is organized to be against God, specifically to be against Jesus. So as we follow things along, we will discover, yes, they plot. It's the Jews who plot to kill Jesus. It's not the Romans, it's the Jews. In fact, John is going to use the term the Jews 71 times. <laughs> John has no trouble naming names. <laughs> He's pointing the finger. You did that. So this system, this Jewish system, includes priests, Levites, Levites, and Pharisees. Okay, so it's an organized system. It's a hierarchy. It's 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 well well maintained, and it's maintained to promote itself. So it's a. It's not a good system because it is primarily designed to make sure that we get, we who are one of those three categories, are getting what we want. So they organize in such a way as that. We're, we're going to see, see that uh, unfold when uh, Jesus kind of loses his cool in the temple and, and throws out the money changers uh, from the temple because that was a Jewish, from the Jews, a system designed to keep the poor people out of church. We don't want them here with us. So rather than make them mad and tell them we don't want you here, we'll create a system that will prevent them from coming. The money changing. Well, we'll talk later, Jay. <laughs> so the question that these priests and Levites are basically asking is, John, are you the character who must appear before the Messiah? Or... 
if John is simply coming as a prophet with a message from God. They know he's, he's from God. They're just trying to pin him down as to exactly who he is. Is this your role or is this your role? But on either count, this would be upsetting to the Jews because this messenger from God they knew would come with something that would disrupt their system. That's why in the Old Testament, they killed all the prophets. The prophets came and had a message that the people of the day in charge didn't like. So, what do you do? You kill the messenger. They did it time and time and time again. I mean, actual you know, guys sent directly from God. Here's the message. No, we don't like the message. We will kill you. So that was a, a fairly common way that they, 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 they found to address this. Uh, they're going to wind up doing the same thing with, with John the Baptist. Verse 20 is very interesting. Because it, as part of the identification of who he is, John the Baptist is very humble. I am not the Christ. I'm not the Messiah. Now, those terms are interchanged, and we're going to, we're going to see it happen, but see, in this culture, is a, it's a conglomeration of, of a very heavy Jewish nature, but there's a great Greek influence to that. So the terms are interchangeable. So if you use the term Christ, that's a Greek term. Messiah is a Jewish term, but they mean the exact same thing. So in whatever context you're, you're reading, you need to understand that. They're, they're both the same. Now, being under Roman rule, the concept of the Messiah, and I want to use that term very specifically because that's a, the Jewish term, the Jews had an expectation that when the Messiah comes, he will come militarily and remove the Romans from the Holy Land will push out or destroy the Romans. That's what they, they, they wanted. To save the people from Roman rule. And of course then restore a Jewish government. But right now they're living under a Roman government. Now this talk of Christ, Messiah, and all that. Question. Were the people of that day actually looking for the Christ or the Messiah? Jimmer says yes. Why would you say such a crazy thing as that? Well, they're always asking about it. Okay. They're looking for the militant. They're looking for the, the militant leader, the military leader. So, again, that's what they thought the Messiah would do. So, yes, they were very much looking for the Messiah. And in this time period, there was a number of men who came forward and says, I'm the Messiah. Uh, we'll be talking about that a little, a little bit later. So they're, they're looking because they want relief from their, their, their current plight. The Romans were not, not nice people, right? It's not a nice government. Uh, and it, it, it really detracted from what the Jews were trying to do, which wasn't very good either, but they thought they were being pure Jews by establishing their, their own government, but now the Romans had, had taken all that over. Verse 21. John the Baptist now claims he is not even Elijah. Now we really have to understand this. John the Baptist says, I am not Elijah. We're going to keep reading and discover Jesus is going to say very clearly, John the Baptist is Elijah. But humble that he is, John the Baptist won't even accept the fact that he is Elijah. So we have to understand who Elijah is. It's a great and wonderful story. 
Let's turn first to Matthew 11, 11. Matthew 11, 11. Matthew and four ones. Matthew 11, 11, uh, for a couple verses here. I'll just read this, and this is Jesus speaking. I tell you the truth, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet he is, the, he is least in the kingdom of heaven, is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and forceful men lay hold of it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied about John. And if you were willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who has come. He who has ears, let him hear. So Jesus is saying John the Baptist is Elijah. Now, go back to the last Old Testament book, Malachi, right before Matthew. Just go back a couple pages. Malachi 4, 5. Malachi 4, 5. Now this is the an Old Testament prophecy, quite a bit before Jesus, but here God is speaking through the prophet Malachi. Quote, See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Or else, I will come and strike the land with a curse. <laughs> right? But again, saying Elijah is coming. So, if you want to read the story of Elijah, you would go to 2 Kings chapter 2. Great, great, wonderful story. Uh, that's where we get the, the term, of which the movie was named after, Chariots of Fire. Because that's what happened. Elijah is a, a very righteous man before God, and he is the only person on earth who did not die. These, this chariot of fire came and whisked him up into heaven. So technically he did not die a physical death. And the promise was that, the purpose of that, is so that Elijah can come back as the forerunner to the Messiah. So the order is Elijah comes back, tells people the Messiah is about to come, and then the Messiah comes. Now, go to John the Baptist's message. Just like Elijah, right? Yeah, that's that he's preparing the people. So he keeps saying, I'm not the Christ, I'm not even Elijah. I will point him out to you when he comes. But my goal is to simply get you ready for the Messiah when he comes. Now, if We've done it a couple times in my many years here. Uh, during Holy Week, we, we, we've had a Seder meal. If you, you've been part of that. You know, we set up all these tables and we crack eggs and, and eat that terrible matzo crackers and all that. Blah, and uh, all kinds of yucky stuff, bitter herbs and everything. But remembering the Passover event. And as you will recall then, I always point out, and we have a little sign, we have a seat with all the setting for it, but the seat is, is empty for Elijah. <coughs> You'll never guess what this seat's called. Elijah's seat. <laughs> Peggy, remember. <huh? laughs> right, so this is Elijah's seat. And so what happens is during the remembrance of the Passover, 
someone, usually the elder male in the room, goes to the door, opens the door, and looks out to see if Elijah is out there waiting so that they can invite Elijah in and join us. You know, we're still, we're looking for the, we want the Messiah to come, but we know Elijah has to come first. So they have that in mind. So for these last 2,000 years, every year of Passover, that's what they do. They look for the Messiah, of course, or the, the, for Elijah to come, and Elijah, in their mind, has not come yet. So they keep waiting. But go back to what Jesus said in Matthew. Elijah already has come. It's John the Baptist. One other reference. Go to Matthew 27. Let's go to the cross. Matthew 27, 45. Matthew 27, 45. I love this passage because I get to talk Hebrew and spit all over everybody. Matthew 27, 45 and following. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. All right, Eloi sounds, you know, from you know, a weakened voice, from a distance, could be Elijah. It's very, very similar. Immediately one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. Right? So, like I say, you know, this, this is no new teaching. They've always been looking for Elijah. And you would think, one look at John the Baptist, he's very Elijah-ish. But they were unwilling to, to accept that. And again, the Jews, the organized system, tried to steer people away from John the Baptist. So any other thoughts on Elijah or anything? Yeah, because it's, it's critical that we have that as, as a component here. Because again, if, Jesus, if we're identifying Jesus as the Messiah, Elijah had to come first. Verse 22. Again, they obviously recognize John the Baptist is not a mere human. So they keep pressing him to tell who John really is. Verse 23 gives his standard answer. I am the voice of one calling in the desert to make straight the way for the Lord. Now, not a trick question. What is the advantage of a straight way as opposed to a windy and hilly way. Shortest distance is between, between two points. Okay, so you're going to get to where you want to go the fastest. Uh, Gary, when you ride your bike, which 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 do you prefer? Very hilly and 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 windy. Nice and flat and straight. That's that that seems to work really well, doesn't it? <laughs> on on foot or on wheels or on anything, right? So yes. So. John says, I am making the way straight. In other words, the way by the Jews' system became very windy and hilly and just a, a mess. 
So John's job is to, as Brian's saying, to make the point from you to God straight. Make it much, much easier. Not do all the work for you, but make it possible for you to make the journey well. That's his assigned purpose. Now remember that Jesus is identified as the Word. Look what John, John the Baptist does. He identifies himself now as the voice. The voice speaks the Word, right? Nice play on words. Verse 24. Since the priests and Levites did not get an adequate answer, they decide when they go back, well, we really don't know anything more about this John the Baptist guy. Now the big guns show up. The Pharisees. Boo, Pharisees. Right? These are the, the really high order guys now. So these are men who have become wealthy by following Jewish law. Many of their other laws that they made up so that others couldn't follow them, but now we do it. And so it, it's just all part of this system established. So the Pharisees are the, the highest order, and they maintain the law and make it a burden for the people. Think back now from what you know of Jesus and his encounters with the Pharisees. Did Jesus get along well with the Pharisees? No. Okay. What are some things Jesus called the Pharisees? Vipers, uh, brood of vipers, whitewashed tombs. Uh, so your, your your snakes ready to vipers are poisons, right? To bite people and kill them. Uh, your your whitewashed tombs. Uh, take a coat of paint, and put it on a, on a tomb. The inside are just still dead bones, right? So there there's no life in what you are promoting. Uh, so. The Pharisees and Jesus were butting heads constantly because they're trying to maintain their system and Jesus is trying to promote the grace of God. And the two are simply not compatible. So they, 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 they locked horns quite frequently. Now, deeper question. Jesus says some harsh things to the Pharisees not about them, to them directly. <laughs> I mean, he, he had no problem doing that. But why was Jesus so harsh with the Pharisees, but very compassionate toward other sinners, like tax collectors, like the woman caught in adultery, uh, like so many others? Why is he harsh with Pharisees, but super nice to everybody else? Good, then. Because they lead people astray. Okay, so leaders lead people astray. Yeah. So Jesus knows you guys are wrong, but... Most of these other sinners, okay, they didn't know. I mean, Jesus on the cross, first thing he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do, right? So there's a, a sense of ignorance there. Uh, why else do you think Jesus was harsh? Go ahead, Bill. Because most of the people at that time couldn't read. So right. they were dependent on what the religious teachers were telling them. And if they were telling them the wrong thing, they were leading them astray and they didn't know anybody. Yep. And that's, yeah. Why the printing press is one of the greatest inventions ever, because now we can get the printed word in the hands of, of more people. Of course, you have to learn how to read, but uh, you know that that all came came together, right? So it was a uh, a very restrictive system. So the Pharisees are the only guys that can read. So whatever they said, you'd have to believe is gospel. Peggy, you were going to say something. Adultery 
one person and you're more likely for them to hear you mm. and change than a group of or a pack like a, a dog you know the one-on-one -on -one message would would get through a whole lot easier and the pharisees always traveled in packs like 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 wolves <laughs> right yes good point Can you th think of any other reasons why good i was going to say that the pharisees had access to know better mm. so they had the written word and could read it so they knew in theory what they were doing was wrong should as, as opposed to yeah your run-of-the-mill center who may not have known they, they right. didn't know what they were doing was wrong but they didn't have the the answer. And that's why it says in the New Testament you have to be crazy to become a pastor. That's what it says. Because, well, <laughs> it was pretty, pretty obvious, right, Reagan? So because the Bible says those in leadership roles will be judged more harshly. You know, so we you know, everybody else gets you know a little sliding scale. Yeah, you know, we don't because we're supposed to know better. And if we know better, then we need to lead accordingly. If we don't, then we're in trouble. Good, right? I thought you said that the Holy Spirit's in each one of us, and we should know that, though. Well, certainly, but so, the, so why wouldn't they be held accountable? Because that was before Christ died on the cross. Oh, they, uh, absolutely! Yeah, Jesus says you guys are not 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 getting to heaven, right? They. Oh, they should have known, but they didn't. So, uh, okay, okay. Or they, I forget who was it. So, you know, they do know, but as <laughs> it's a good thing you're back. <laughs> Romans chapter one, <laughs> all rise. Uh, you know, says that they know what they're doing, and yet, even knowing the consequence of the sin. They still will do it, and not only that, lead others to do it as well. So yes, we all know that we all have this truth in us, but we can reject it, we can disobey it, we can refuse it, we can throw it out, and we can do our own thing. So but then, that's the nature of sin. So then you can't say because they couldn't read that that was their excuse, right? Don't think we said that. Well, we, but you know, the average person, what? What we're saying is the, the, the Pharisees were the only ones who could read. Therefore, they, you know, they had a double responsibility. But they were sharing false information with the people because the people could not read. They couldn't, they couldn't challenge anything the Pharisees were, were saying. You're, but they should have known by this in here. Many of them did. But in the system, prevents you from ever doing anything about it. I think, too, how many times... I think you get lost in the law. You get lost. You get distracted in the law. You, I mean, think about how many different laws that were in that society. How easy it is if you're focusing on the worldly aspect, the laws, that pulls you so far away from God at that point. And it kind of makes me think of Nicodemus with the concept, you know, what must I do? Born again. Well, I've been following the laws, talking about this. He's looking at everything from the law aspect and not the Jesus aspect. From the Pharisee aspect. The Pharisee aspect. He's, like, <laughs> He's a Pharisee. The law, of course, you know, follow the law. You can, but then it's very logical, very... Well, I can't be born again. My mother, I'm, I'm an adult type thing. But he's looking very much logical about the law. And I think that by seeing that, it almost clouds them from the aspect of God. So. Yeah. Now, the good news is that Nicodemus, we're going to meet him in chapter 3, he doesn't get it that night, but he does eventually. Because he's one of the few guys who stand up for Jesus after the crucifixion. He's there 
to help prepare the body for burial as a Pharisee. Paul, keep in mind, he claims to be the greatest of Pharisees. In other words, I followed the law better than anybody else around. I was the best Pharisee of them all. And he got it. So it's, it's simply the personal choice, and we all have the same choice. So no matter what system you're under, no matter the way you were brought up, no, you know, that's, none of that becomes an excuse. But when you're in a leadership position and you don't do what God wants you to do, that's when God becomes very displeased. So we have a special responsibility to share the, the very truth. So Jesus doesn't like the Pharisees. And already we see them coming and trying to figure this out, to figure out a way to, to get in and, and manipulate and, and control. Go ahead, Bob. Did the Pharisees uh, believe in their heart of hearts that following the law so meticulously would actually achieve their relationship with, in their, in their word, uh, God, you know, or Yahweh, or however they... Did they actually believe that? Because I know they, a lot of people that try to do all little things, you know, go to church, send their right. tithe, do all things. And did they believe in their heart of hearts that they were doing? They the twisted right their heart of heart to believe that. But it's clear in you know Paul's writings in the book of Hebrews uh, throughout the entire New Testament that that was never God's intention. To turn it into what the Pharisees turned it into, um, they 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 used the law as the support of everything. So we have to maintain this law. So anybody who speaks against the law, we must destroy. And that's you know the main reason because in the law, their understanding of the law was only God can forgive sins, and Jesus is going around saying, "I forgive your sins." Well, we can't have that. You're a human being, right? So it just. Yeah, they were so closed and so locked into the law that it prevented them from seeing any any grace or any mercy from God whatsoever. And that's that's what Jesus was was opposing. Also keep in mind that the Pharisees actually did believe in resurrection. There was another major group of these you know high up religious guys. We only see them a few times, uh, but uh, that, that group is called the Sadducees. The Sadducees do not believe in resurrection. So they're an opposing group within the Jewish religion itself. One believed in resurrection and one did not. It's easy to remember which one believed in resurrection. Pharisees do, Sadducees don't because they are sad, you see, right? So that makes it a little easier to, to, to understand. But there will come a point when these mortal enemies, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, it says they see Jesus as a common enemy. And for the first time, they actually join forces to take Jesus out. That's going to happen near, near the end. The Sadducees will pop up a time or two, but the Pharisees are the main leaders of the people, the ones who dressed in these fancy clothes. And Jesus says, you, you, can, you, can, you can tell how holy they are at a great distance because they, they had uh, tassels that would hang down from their, uh, from their robes and when they held them out. And so uh, the length of the, the, the tassel indicated how, believe it or not, how holy you were. 
So, you know, guys would walk around, you know, walk around town like, you know, with their arms out like this. He's, oh, everybody, look how holy I am, right? And they, when they would pray, Jesus says, you know, they just, they make a mockery of God, you know, because, you know, they, they pray like, well, I'm glad I'm not like Bill Kleitz. It's like, man, you know, yeah, they, they, you made me so good and pure and holy, God, but, you know, that Bill, it's, you know, I don't want to be like him. So, you know, that's the kind of prayers they would have. But Jesus says, that's ridiculous. That's not the way God works. So, Jesus is, is, totally completely against this system and obviously you know they were designed to beat Jesus and that's why they thought they won finally by putting him on the cross and killing him but they were also very concerned because they they did hear Jesus say on the third day I will rise again so remember the Pharisees go to Pilate and get permission to seal up the tomb and put guards there because the disciples, you know, the disciples come and steal his body, and, and 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 this last bit of trickery will be worse than anything else he's ever done. Because then you know the body is gone, and they'll they'll promote this myth that Jesus rose from the dead. So we've got to make sure that in three days that body is still there. That's what the movie Risen talked about. Yes, that we just saw not too long ago. Yeah, the the, the movie Risen, uh, really good Christian movie. If you haven't seen it, get it. It's awesome and incredible. Uh, you will love it. There's a lot of really good Christian movies out there nowadays. I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. It's a great time to be a Christian. Verse 27. John, again, so incredibly humble, says he is not even worthy to untie Jesus' sandals. Now, in that day, the job of untying the sandals was rank down there with washing feet. I mean, it was like the lowest form of slavery you know, any slave could, could ever have. So John's not only saying he's not the Christ, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals, he says. And Jesus tells, tells parables about, uh, about humility. Uh, the one that really, really sticks in my head is a guy throws a, a, big, a big party and some... Some you know guy who th thinks he's all that, and a, and a bag of chips walks in and takes you know one of the best seats, like next to you know the host or the the main speaker or whatever, you know, puts himself up at the front table, and you know the the host of the party, you know, later on realizes, well, there's a really famous guy there in the back. Uh, he deserves to sit up here, so the host has to come and tell the first guy. You've got to leave. You've got to go sit in the back. <laughs> Jesus said, you're just a whole lot better off sitting in the back. If they want to bring you up front, fine. But don't assume that you're, you're all that. So, humility. And John has that incredible. Now, verse 28 is really, really important. Notice where John is baptizing. Bethany on the other side of the Jordan. The Jordan River is the, the demarcation between Israel and the countries to the east. To go to the other side, he's no longer in Jewish territory. I mean, he's only a couple couple feet away, but <laughs> but still, the point is made. He's on the other side. So John is baptizing in pagan territory. Now, most theological question I will ask you all night: Why? Go ahead, show. More to listen. Okay, Gentiles 
might be more, more likely to, to, to listen, although we do get a sense a lot of Jews crossed the Jordan and came, and came to be baptized. But this is a, a powerful message for, for the Gentiles that already, even before Jesus starts, God is preparing Gentiles to, to, to hear the message. Why else do you... Yeah, No right or wrong answer here. Just speculate like crazy. Why, why, why would he go to the other side? Certainly less convenient. Jesus accepts him too. Okay. So this isn't a saying just Jews get this. This is something for, for everybody. So again, preparation with, with Gentiles as well. What else do you think? Go ahead, Gary. Yeah, it's, just, it's, it's almost too obvious, isn't it? it? Just because if I stay on this side, they're going to come over and harass me and everything else, and you know, try to restrict me with the system. So I'm just going to go 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 where I can be free, and their laws don't uh, don't matter to me. Yeah. Think of anything else? That's kind of what I saw too. Kind of separate separation from the Jewish law. I mean, it makes you think too, like the thick and grain, how they say, you know, how how the, how the Jewish people are like, you can't do that. It's the it's that, you know. The fact that it's the Sabbath or the card reading and things like that. I think you see consistently there's points where Jesus would do things on the Sabbath and say, you can't do that. That's the law. And he'd say, well, you know, you're going to leave the view on the side of the road and die. Yep. <laughs> so, you know. so, yeah, to yeah, John the Baptist does not want to support right. the system of the Pharisees. Right. That legalistic, law-based system that he knows is not what God wants, so he's just going to take it somewhere else and where he can do, do his own thing. Now for the really interesting part. Jews didn't baptize. The only time a Jew would baptize is if a, a Gentile converted to Judaism. Then they would baptize. Jews had uh, ceremonial cleansings using water, but it wasn't baptism. John is specifically baptizing. But keep in mind, that was for a Gentile converting to Judaism. John is baptizing, again, preparing people to convert to follow Jesus. So we have Gentiles being baptized, Jews are crossing the Jordan to be baptized, I can't tell you how powerful this is. Why don't they have any movie film of this? I would love to see that. You know, all these people coming. Because as it was then, it is now, there, there's a real hunger and a thirst for the things of God. And when, it, when, when the culture becomes so depraved of God, there are some of us that just will die unless we have it. You know, it becomes our our lifeblood in opposition to the culture around us to whatever system is established around us and there were a number of people in that day that were looking for it and as we start calling the first disciples you're going to see some jump <laughs> at the chance to to be involved with Jesus very very quickly so that's kind of the setup Verse 29, the next day. So what we're going to have now is a series of four days. So what we've just talked about is day one. This is the next day. This is day two. Then it's going to, verse 35 is the next day. Verse 43 is the next day. <laughs> right? So John's just kind of walking us down through. You know, this is what happened on this day. This wasn't over the course of weeks. This is day after day after day. These things are happening. 
So the Jewish religious leaders have already grilled John the Baptist about who he is. John clearly identifies himself as not the Christ. And sure enough, the next day, Jesus appears. Should have seen that coming. John clearly identifies Jesus as, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now again, in the Jewish understanding of things, only God forgives sin. And the first thing out of John the Baptist's mouth is, there he is. This guy will take away the sin of the world. A human, God in human form, will take away the sin of the world. Now, the, the lamb image is really a big deal. Way back in the Old Testament, follows through the New Testament, Jesus is often referred to as the Lamb of God. Does that mean Jesus is just a super nice guy with nice fur and, uh, and <laughs> just cute and adorable and you just want to snuggle with him and all that? No, it's not what it means at all. A lamb was sacrificed in the temple every morning and evening as an atonement for the sin of the people. The lamb was the, the greatest sacrifice offered in the temple. So it depends on you know the level of sin you committed. It went from you know little sparrow you know, through I mean sacrifice a cow. I mean sacrifice all kinds of different things depending on the level of sin you committed. So the worst sin required a lamb. So it wasn't the size of the animal. It was the meaning of the animal. So the lamb has always been the the biggest, most important, and best sacrificial animal. But twice a day in the temple, they they do that. Now recall that it was a lamb that needed to be sacrificed with Moses and all of God's people in Egypt as the last plague came upon the Egyptians. If the lamb's blood was smeared over the top of each home's door, the angel of death would pass over that home. If no blood was present, then the firstborn of each generation in that home would die. And so it, it just went through there. So the point is, a lamb had to die so that God's people could live. <coughs> Jesus died so that we could live. So that's why he's called the Lamb of God. The Lamb has always been the symbol of remembering God's deliverance, of forgiveness of sin, and of the salvation offered by the Messiah. All of that in that furry little animal. But that's the, the imagery, the symbolism of the Lamb as you follow it through all of biblical history. But keep in mind, the Jews understood that only God can forgive sins. So John immediately goes against that culture and says, there's the Lamb of God who will forgive the sins of the world. Not just you Jews, not even just you people who have just been baptized. Jesus offers it to the whole world. Verse 31. John states that his whole purpose was to prepare folks to receive Jesus. Singular mission. Preparing. Not too long before Thanksgiving comes. If you have 20, 20 people coming to your home for Thanksgiving, is there any preparation you have to do? 
anything at all, or just 20 people show up and magically there's a there's a nice. Yeah, yeah, I don't, yeah, some of us don't do anything. We just stay out of the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but somebody prepares something, right? There's a lot of preparation. Christmas, you know, holidays, you know, birthdays, you know. I mean, we prepare. That's why that word is used. It's a preparation. It's a getting ready for the big event. Days and weeks of preparation. By the way, Jan is already preparing for you to come to the open house. <laughs> Cookies are flying everywhere, right? Just saying, right? So prepare, prepare, prepare. But the preparation is not the end. The event is the end. John is preparing for Jesus to come. Verse 32. John simply reveals what he saw. He saw the Spirit come down upon Jesus like a dove. And here's the important part. The Spirit remained on Jesus. Now that's really critical because throughout all the Old Testament, the Spirit is talked about a lot. And the Spirit was with the prophets, with uh, uh, certain kings, uh, usually one of the leaders. But the Spirit was there. It, it came upon all these people. But it only remained as long as they were conducting their official mission. But here it specifies that it remains with Jesus. And because it remains with Jesus then, Jesus now, we're going to get to the point where Jesus is going to pass it on to us. He's going to grant to us himself in spirit. Not a body outside of us, but instead the power within us. Verse 33. Really interesting. John says he would not have recognized Jesus. So how did he recognize Jesus? The Holy Spirit revealed. Okay, so see, the Holy Spirit in him, he's 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 already lined up with God and he sees it clearly. So God makes it possible for him to understand and recognize who Jesus is. All right, now that's John the Baptist. Wild and crazy question of the day. Is it possible for God to do the same for us today? To give us that, the eyes to see God at work around us. Could, could that possibly happen? Was that just a dream I had? Absolutely, Absolutely she says. So what, what kind of things would you see if the Holy Spirit was, was revealing the, the, the reality of God around you, the truth of God around you, uh, in the people and the events around you? What, what could you possibly see? Discernment. Discernment? Okay, you'd be able to see through things and see what God really wants you to see as opposed to just the, the, the physical in front of you, which works great with people. Uh, you can see what really is in their heart. As opposed to you know whatever facade they're you know they, they put on this outer shell, okay? What what else could God possibly reveal with, that the Holy Spirit would allow us to see or, or you know help us to recognize? Truth. Okay, just basic truth. 
Truth, truth, more truth. So that's important because there's a lot of lies around us. So again, discernment to see the straight path. What else would the Holy Spirit possibly reveal to us? The path of the love of Say again? People showing the love of Christ. Okay, uh, doesn't that warm your heart? When you, you just see across the room somebody acting like Jesus. But not everybody sees that. But you see Jesus actually there. I mean, that's, that's powerful. And again, that, go ahead. I was coming back from visiting Nicole and the girls yesterday, and there was a, a bad accident um, in front of Lowe's there, and there were so many vehicles pulled off yeah. to help. And I just find that amazing. It's <laughs> <laughs> fast enough for me because I don't want to see that. But it's amazing what people will put themselves through. Yeah. They will, are willing to see to help somebody. Yep. Somebody said something else. Okay, so you, you you will see in the midst of all the cloud and just all the, the the craziness in front of you, you will see a clear a clear path unfold before you. Yeah. Forgiveness. Yeah. You'll you'll see the need to forgive and to allow others to to forgive you. Yeah, because that's kind of like what Jesus would do, right? And at times like that, does it not dawn on you that wasn't me? I'm, I'm not smart enough to figure that out. I, I know I'm not smart enough to figure that out, right? There, that, that wisdom, that, that understanding is from God. Yeah, I, I just, there's no way I could have done that on my own. Yeah. It almost makes you think of the original with Acts, with the Spirit striking him, that they yeah. could go out and speak in the different languages, the things that they could do. Not one of them would have that ability earlier that morning. Right. I mean, they didn't just wake up and imagine. Just, I mean, it was just weird. <laughs> crazy stuff happens. Yeah, right? exactly. And, and things you, you can't explain except to explain them as, this is God. Exactly, yeah. And so, therefore, I don't have to explain it. I don't have to quantify it. I don't have to understand it. I just know that God has done this. Good, right? Sometimes when you want something to go a certain way and every time you try to do it, there's a roadblock and it doesn't work out and then later on you see why it doesn't work out because that wasn't what you were supposed to do. You were supposed to do something different. Yeah. God, God has something better when than work, what we imagine. Yeah, when things don't work out or something, I think, okay, show me what you want because I don't have a clue now. Yep. <laughs> I gave up my best shot and that didn't work, so. <laughs> yeah. But again, you know, that's very John the Baptist-ish because that's very humble. When, when we say, okay, I have no more resources, I have no more ability, I have no more understanding of what I should do, God, I'm just going to wait for you to make this clear to me. That's really the best place you can be. Well, how many times does it say scripturally, too, it makes references to being to the meek, being the, the weary. It's, you know, constant, at, at several points in the Bible, it's saying, come to me when you're at that point. Right. You know? Come to me when you're burdened or weary. At the one point of the Beatitudes, he's talking about the meat. I think he wants us to be in a position like that. Yep. Because it's, it's at least from a personal level, I know, when things are going great, it's a whole lot harder sometimes to remember. How's my daily devotions going? How's this going? When you when things are just going well, things are going, you know, sometimes that tends to get pushed on the back burner. 
But boy, when you have, you know, it's amazing. I think sometimes things like that come across that you are the burden, you are the weak, to help bring you back to God, to help bring you back to Him. And other people can do that for you. Exactly. So. Yes. yes. Yep. Yeah. Certainly can help help to point that out for you. What in, in fact, you know, the, the psalmist says, what God desires is a broken and contrite heart. That's God's ultimate. In other words, if you're coming arrogant, if you're coming thinking you're strong, if you're coming like you've got it all together, God can't do a blessed thing with you. But when you come broken, oh, really put you back together. David? Yeah, David, obviously, yeah. Over and over. (laughs) You think you would have learned eventually. So, Ultimately, I think the Holy Spirit. You know, <laughs> they are getting bigger, aren't they? <laughs> that was Lily, wasn't it? <laughs> oh no! <laughs> but ultimately, what the Holy Spirit is going to lead us to do is to truly be the definition of what the church is. The church is the body of Christ. Now that's the the physical body. So in other words, when this community sees us, and again, where two or three are gathered in the name of the Lord, we are the church. So whether it's two of us, whether it's a thousand of us, uh, that we are acting like everything you've just said. That we as a people are that. That we are that loving, we are that forgiving, we are that compassionate, we are, you know, all those things. Not just here, but out there. See, now that's that's where we've missed the boat. That's where we've lost it in this culture. We've somehow thought, well, let's just be nice to other Christians. And we did that for quite a few years, and now it's gotten away from us, and now we're all, oh, what happened? Well, that's what happened. Because Jesus is always sending us out. Go into the world and make disciples. It's not stay here and just, you know, be a better disciple yourself. Sure, you have to mature in the faith, but the purpose is that you are going out. Across the, the Jordan? Yeah, across the Jordan even, yes, thank you. Or across the Juniata. <laughs> See what I did there? Verse 34. John says he is an eyewitness to these things, and he's simply telling what he saw. So eyewitnesses are good. You know what's secondhand story? You want it from the first person who saw it, who actually saw all the events without interpretation. This is exactly what I saw. Now, he describes what he saw. The other Gospels give a lot more detail about what John the Baptist saw. So the story is a little bigger. He simply says, I saw a dove come down and, and remain with Jesus. Period. The other Gospels say, saw the dove come down, then he heard a voice from heaven say, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Right? So there was, there was more to it, but... but this gospel writer leaves that out. Now it's not contradictory, it's just a different different approach. He's simply focusing on the fact that Jesus is God. Now did you notice that three times John the Baptist says that the Holy Spirit was seen? 
verse 32, and twice in no, 30, 34 and 30, you know, 33 and 34. He keeps pointing to that fact. He, three times he says it. A little, little bit overkill, but he's trying to make that point. Bottom line is, John the Baptist says that Jesus is definitely the Son of God. Isaiah 11 and Isaiah 42 prophesy that the Holy Spirit will visibly come upon the Messiah when he comes. And here John says, I saw it. I saw the Holy Spirit coming down like a dove and remaining with Jesus. Now we need to understand that the Holy Spirit was quite common in the Old Testament and the Holy Spirit would anoint a king, a prophet, uh, some person, but only for a short time. Jesus now has it forever, a permanent anointing. Let's look at verse 35. Get you started on the next day. This would be day three. John the Baptist is with two of his disciples. And this gets confusing, right? Because every time you hear disciples, you think Jesus is disciples. No, all, all leaders had disciples, followers. So rabbis, teachers had followers. Yeah, it just go, goes along. So John the Baptist had many disciples, but on this day, two of them are with John the Baptist. And John looks and exclaims again, look, the Lamb of God. Now, just imagine you're one of those two disciples. John the Baptist had been saying this for weeks. <laughs> the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming, the Messiah's coming, just wait and I'll point him out to you. And they're revved up, ready to go, and there he says, look, right there he is. And they take off, right. So their alignment is not with John the Baptist. They even knew, I have to go to Jesus. And they do so. Now, the account of these first disciples, again, in John's Gospel, is a little bit different than Matthew in particular. Uh, it's not contradictory. The two can be combined together very well, but they, they come from two different standpoints, two different emphases. And one of John's disciples that goes to Jesus is identified as Andrew. Andrew is Simon Peter's brother, which Matthew certainly points out were the first disciples. Andrew and his, and his, and his brother Peter. So Andrew recognizes Jesus as the Messiah. And the, these two disciples spend the day with Jesus. And Andrew is absolutely convinced that Jesus is the Messiah. And so the first thing Andrew does is he goes and tells his brother Simon. And then, as the story goes on, you'll see that Andrew brings Simon to Jesus the next day. And Peter has an opportunity to accept Jesus. But here's the part I wonder about. There were two disciples of John. Andrew is the only one named and the only one that says accepted Jesus. What happened to the other one? <laughs> it seems to be strangely absent. 
that John the Baptist prepared these guys that when the Messiah comes in, the other unnamed disciple spent the day with Jesus as well. But he's not mentioned again. It just seems hard to believe that somebody prepared to accept Jesus and then spend a day with Jesus doesn't truly accept Jesus. Well, some scholars have speculated that this unnamed disciple of John is actually the author of our book. You ever notice? You read the whole thing. John is very careful not to identify himself. Best he does is call himself, which you really have to piece it together, the beloved disciple. Right? So he doesn't, he's like John the Baptist. He doesn't promote himself. He's very humble. He tries to hide behind the scenes. So it very well could be that it was Andrew and John the Gospel writer that were John the Baptist's disciples that went and spent the day with Jesus. Because before too long, this John, the writer, and his brother come to Jesus. There are a lot of brothers here. Now one brother goes, goes and gets, gets the other brother. But really, truly, this Gospel writer keeps a very low profile throughout everything he's doing. So I want to get, get you going on, on that next day and get you thinking a little bit there. So that's a good place for us to stop for the day. And we will pick it up again. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.